Conversations, the show where we bring you the news and information around the Washington National Guard. I'm Sarah Morris, and on today's episode, Jason and I sit down with Lieutenant Colonel Craig Broyles and Major Joshua Brown, the commander in S3 of the 3rd Infantry Battalion, 161st Infantry Regiment. In this episode, we talk about what the battalion is, their upcoming deployment to Poland, and their vision for the future. Enjoy! Bigfoot country is earthquake country. If an earthquake were to happen right now, what would you do? When you feel the ground shaking, drop, cover, and hold on. Do not run or you may be injured by things falling. Remember, if you are near the ocean, the ground shaking is your warning that a tsunami may be coming. After the shaking stops, move to high ground and stay there. Make sure to listen to local emergency officials. Have enough supplies to be self-sufficient for two weeks after a disaster. For more information about earthquakes in Washington, visit mil.wa.gov preparedness. Be sure to follow us on social media. Stay up to date on all the cool events, stories, photos, and videos happening around the Washington National Guard. If you have a question, have a comment, or just want to say hi, send us a DM, PM, tweet at us, whatever, and we'll answer you. We also love to share and collaborate. Send us the photos or videos you take at Drill or AT, and we'll tag you. Are you an active Instagrammer? Well, you might be a perfect candidate to take over our account. Send us a message, and we'll set something up. To find us, do a search for WA National Guard. That's W-A National Guard, and look for the blue check mark. All right, so today, for the first time in a long time, Jason is back to co-host the podcast. I'm back, everybody. Yay. Now you don't only get to listen to his voice in our social media ad. Yeah. Yeah. And today, uh, we're joined by hopefully the first of a series um, with battalion command teams, um, the 3161 Infantry. So we have the commander, Lieutenant Colonel Craig Broyles, and the AOS3 Major Josh Brown. Good afternoon, I guess now. Hey, I appreciate you having us on. I know uh, first time meeting you, Sarah and Jason, I'm excited to have this opportunity to talk to all of you about uh, the dark rifles and kind of what we're about and where what our future looks like. Awesome. And um, we're excited as well. So let's start off with what is the 3161 <laughs> Infantry? So the uh, 3rd Battalion is... Uh, we're part of the 161st uh, Infantry Regiment. Uh, there's two battalions here in Washington State. There's the 1st Battalion, or Highlanders. They're headquartered out of uh, Spokane, Washington. And then you have 3rd Battalion, which is headquarters out of Kent, Washington. I've not really ever been sure why we don't have a 2nd Battalion, but uh, we have a 1 and we have a 3. Uh, both battalions are part of the 81st SBCT, which is headquarters here in uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, and then there, our third infantry battalion, interestingly enough, is down in uh, California, 1185. Uh, they're right by Fort Irwin, uh, California. Okay. And your guys's motto is hunt, race, kill. Am I getting that correct? You are. And what <laughs> what is uh, the driving force behind that motto? So uh, hunt, race, kill really came about as, uh, before I took command, uh, was reading up a lot of doctrinal manuals and really trying to understand infantry warfare. And there's one key uh, portion that I, I, it struck me as impactful. In, uh, in the Army's t- uh, Techniques publication, ATP 3-21.8, the infantry platoon and squad, as I was reading it that, I kind of stumbled on a kind of a passage that said, for 
uh, platoons to be successful in close combat, it relies on leaders and soldiers to outthink and outmaneuver and outfight the enemy. And I stumbled at that, and I thought for quite a while, like, well, what does that really mean? Like, for my guys to be successful in close combat, they have to outthink, and they have to outmaneuver and outfight an enemy. So I pondered for a while, well, what does it really mean to outthink someone? Like, how do you think, how do you outthink an enemy? And then how do you outmaneuver them, and how do you outfight them? And, and so I spent some time not only trying to figure out how to do it, but how would I define that? in a way that leaders in, in this organization and soldiers could kind of key on. So first I'd talk, kind of talk about outthinking. So I thought about, all right, how do you outthink someone? How is it that if I was matched up with, uh, you know, my enemy's counterpart, like battalion commander and, uh, counterpart or maybe a squad leader and their counterpart, and we're outthinking each other, and I kind of visualize a chess game. So we kind of spend our time in a chess game, and how much of that chess game uh, is spent about – you and I actually thinking about what moves you're going to make. Uh, I would say it's almost 50-50. Uh, as, I, as I play this chess game, really the most, most of the time I'm spending thinking what's, what you're going to do next, what you're going to do, Sarah, and as we have this interaction. And as I continue to think about it, well, how do I describe that to my soldiers of really outthink someone? I thought, well, you do it by you only almost have to put yourself in their shoes. You almost have to put yourself in their mind and look at the scenario from their point of view. So really, to me, outthinking an enemy really came down to me putting myself into their mind, looking at the situation from their point of view, and then developing the best possible way to win this engagement as if I was the enemy. This is what you would do. Because a lot of times people will say, well, I really don't know what the enemy is going to do. And I, I disagree because most people are trained warrior combatants. So good ground is usually good ground for infantrymen. Uh, avenues of approach are usually good avenues of approach. So if you really put on someone else's, your adversary's hat and look at the situation from their point of view and then say, okay, how is he going to do it to win? You know, try to be as crafty and as good as I, I, I can be. What that helps me understand is then, once I go back to the way I look at it, I have, I'm looking at a pretty good plan that would allow them to win. Now I try to beat that plan. And so, how? but then that's fine. That's, as you can tell, that took quite a while to explain. Mm -hmm. So then how do I take that, that idea and then condense it in a way to me that is impactful and a way for soldiers to understand that Easy idea? Easy to remember. Yeah. Something you can just like... Salute on the way, on, 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 as you're walking by. You exactly. Know, so do I say reconnaissance? Yeah. Right. Well, no. That, you know, what does that mean? Do I say, um, okay, we need to see the enemy first? Right. So kind of a, a legacy a motto I remember from my days back in 10th Mountain in, in the Iraq War days, our battalion commander used to always say, hey, remember, there's the hunted and the hunters. Be the hunters. And that's stuck. And I thought, you know what? If I said hunt, you got to be a hunter. To me, that encapsulates everything or encapsulates everything I just described, right? A hunter, they have to know their prey. They have to know who they're going after. They have to know what they would do. They have to be uh, just so many aspects, I thought. And I said, hey, mm -hmm. if I told my soldiers, in order to outthink the enemy, you got to be a hunter. To me, hunt really was the, the key word that I thought I could give to really encapsulate that idea. So that's where the outthink and hunt comes from. Okay. Nice. And then as I move in, I can, you know, I can, you know, as I maneuver it was kind of the same piece. Right. 
because maneuver is a hard word for people to understand because it's got so many def different definitions. Um, I don't know, you've been around the Army, you know, how, what does maneuver mean to you? Um, pursuit. Okay. Um, blocking and, moon, and, and moving, kind of um, uh, shaping the battlefield to, to, to send an enemy to a particular direction. So it's a lot of movement around a battlefield. That's what I... Brilliant. Yeah. Sarah, I don't know if you have a definition that you think when you say, hey, we're going to maneuver, what does that kind of come into your mind? Well, my husband's a tanker. I think he'd be really disappointed if I didn't understand maneuvers a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the way we're going to position ourselves across the battlefield in order to remain dominant. Okay, good. So the kind of the commonality is movement and then position. So those two words to me, yeah, and one of the definitions we have in the Army as well. We're going to, you know, the purpose of the Army is to seize, retain, and exploit the initiative to gain a position of relative advantage. How do I aim a rifle at that? Right. So if I tell, you know, Private Broyles or Sergeant Broyles, hey, go get to a position, and once you seize, retain, exploit the initiative to gain a position of relative advantage, what is that? Well, it's hard to aim a rifle at that. So how I've described that I'm a big John Boyd fan, OODA loop, kind of that person, how I, just, how I describe is outmaneuver is you have to be faster than your enemy and you have to get behind them. Right. At when, I tr when I get behind someone, then I'm at an advantage. If, I'm, if you and I are looking at each other, then, I, then we see each other's movements. If I get behind right. you, there's a, there's a bit of uh, fear involved. I, ha I can do things you can't do anything back. So I'm always looking for an envelopment. In order to get to an envelopment, you have to get behind somebody. And there you have options, because then once I'm behind you, I'm at a position advantage. Not only can we, we you're trapped, but then we can attack what I say, and I, our, the enemy's critical, advantage, uh, critical vulnerabilities is their logistics, their headquarters, and their artillery. So to me, telling my soldiers, you've got to outmaneuver someone, get behind them, attack their artillery, headquarters, and their logistics nodes, soldiers can aim at rifle at that. Mm -hmm. So the race came in really is trying to go, well, it's not about being fast. You know, think about a fast break in basketball or a you know, hurry up offense, that, that's good. But what you really have to do is be faster than the enemy. And when I was playing with words, I was like, well, we gotta have tempo. Well, tempo didn't sound right. Well, you gotta be fast, we gotta be, and the best word I could come up with, I think captured that idea the best was race. That race really, to me, grabbed the idea that it's great to be fast, but I got to be faster than you. Right. Um, so that's where the hunt and the race came from. And finally, the outfight. So how do we outfight our enemy, uh, an infantry bata uh, uh, battalion? Uh, and really, the what kind of stuck out to me was this, I'm going to get a little Sun Tzu-ish on you here, <laughs> but uh, he kind of talked about combinations. Right. And that, you know, there's more, not more than five musical notes and the combination of which give you more melodies that be heard. And so the outfight piece is because here's the problem, especially with a, with a National Guard organization. Like, how often do my soldiers actually get behind their rifles and actually shoot or actually practice right. in, in comparison to a, a maybe an, a, an opponent? So we got to think a little differently. And the way we, we think a little differently is in combinations. So my soldiers have to really, I, we, we work hard to help them understand that, yeah, it, I want you to be accurate with your, with your M4 rifle, but what you really need to do is think about combined arms. Right. And, and usually in the big army, when we think of combined arms, we think about it in 
big units. You know, we're going to all the tanks, uh, all the infantry, all the engineers. And I think we don't understand that a fire team of it itself has combined arms capability. They have a saw gunner right. and a 320 grenade launcher. And what's not interesting is each one shooting, uh, trying to hit the target with just their direct fire weapons. What what combined arms means is that this team leader's job is to employ that saw. The machine gun is the most lethal piece. And as he employs that saw, the opponent will immediately duck in onto a bunker or some sort of you know cover, making the saw un unable to hit him. Knowing that, the 320 gunner's purpose is then to be able to drop a 320 grenade into that area, creating a dilemma. And that's right. the whole idea of combined arms. Creating a dilemma for the enemy that no matter what they do, they lose. If he stands up, machine gun cuts him down. If he stays down, he gets, he gets blown out. Right. That philosophy is kind of what we mean by outfight. Now, I heard, so really it came by this. I was sitting in a meeting one time, and I listened to all these other battalion commanders talking about, oh, I'm so lethal. Boy, we're working on lethality. Lethality is so important. And lethality, and I have no idea what lethality means, other than it sounds neat. So how do I tell someone you need to be lethality? Right. So to me, if I said I need you to be a better killer, yeah, everyone kind of knows what that means. Yeah. So really to outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy is where those three words to hunt, race, and kill is my the this battalion's way to say that's how we do those things. Right. That makes sense. Sort of like your overarching goal. Right. Yeah. Nice. Cool. What about dark rifles? Is that still around? It is. So we uh, we are the dark rifles. That is, I think, when the battalion was stood up. The uh, uh, Colonel Perrin was uh, the first bat uh, battalion commander. He's a very uh, capable historian. And uh, talking to him where the legacy of the, or where he came with dark rifles, uh, during the, uh, camp the World War II campaign, this, the 161st Regiment was heavily in the jungles throughout mm -hmm. the Solomon chain and the Philippines. And so a word that kept talking about the regiment was these dark rifles, this idea of these folks in the jungle, and that, 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 that name kind of stuck with him. So to be true to our uh, World War II legacy, we uh, adopted the Dark Rifles as our battalion uh, kind of name. Okay. Cool. Nice. Let's go move on to you, Major yeah. Brown. Where, what, what, do, what do you do for uh, <coughs> the three of the 161? Uh, so yeah, Major Josh Brown. I'm the, uh, the operations officer uh, and the administrative officer on the full-time side. So um, you know, kind of dual hat and roles. You know, my main focus you know, at this point in time is understanding you know, the progression of where we're going. You know, through NTC and a mob to Poland, and I view you know my job is to to help get us there. Uh, in addition to what I'll do in the tactical uh, arena at, at both in both of those places. So, um, yeah, so that's is essentially there what I am. a plan for making up sort of that missed opportunity with NTC getting canceled? Uh, there is. So as uh, uh, as everyone knows, uh, due to COVID-19, our, our NTC rotation 2007 was taken off the table, um, and, and we've been placed back on the schedule in the March-April timeframe. I don't think a decision has finally been made, uh, but they want that, they being, you know, Forcecom and Big right. Army, want that as a, as a, you know, it's like a, a validation. A validation answer. before yeah. we go, yeah, Roger. Before we before we get on a plane or, or stuff goes on a boat to, to go over to Poland. So, as it stands right now, that is you know one of our main training objectives before you know we mobilize and 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 go over go overseas. So, um, 
that is a big part of what I do on the full-time side is to, you know, ensure equipment, training, um, the unit is prepared and ready to go, um, and we get there and are capable of executing what we need to do. Awesome. So we may cut this part out, but I was just wanted to ask, like, because I'm coming back after a year gone, like, uh, when, when were you guys originally supposed to be going over to Poland? Or is, uh, has that moved at all? That has not moved. No. That so not our, moved. our time in Poland is is remained the same. The only thing that's really okay. changed is we would be at NTC right now. Yeah. Coming, okay. We'd be doing coming our live coming back, right? Yeah, yeah. We would have. So it's moved to your wife's birthday, yeah. my anniversary. <laughs> so you said it's the NTC rotation has moved to March, March, April, March, March, April, April time frame, which yep. which is actually pretty interesting because if we went to April we would actually be an SB uh, striker formation aligned with an armored formation, which okay. I think is kind of a neat idea that the Army's always tried to kind of get after. Right. So I think it'll be a, it'll attract a lot of attention, not only with, you know, that we were a legacy AUP unit, you know, underneath mm -hmm. 7th Infantry Division, but also here's an opportunity to kind of see what an NTC rotation would look like with an ABCT, and an SBCT fighting alongside, and what you know when we take the typical you know, Ujin objective, kind right. of how that would look like. So I think it's kind of interesting. That will be kind of interesting to see how the maneuver works. Cool. So what's your mission over in Poland? Uh, <laughs> the current mission, so uh, uh, deter uh, deter Russian aggression um, and be prepared to defend if necessary um, in support of. Poland and NATO allies. So the deterrence piece is is a big part of it. So our, our presence over there uh, will show you know, show the you know, potential enemies, the, the Russian, the potential Russian aggression will hopefully not continue to um, expand. I'm kind of jumbling around. So if we want to <laughs> clean this up, by all means, <laughs> ask me a, uh, a question that I should have been prepared for. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's uh, that's what we'll do uh, over there, and it, it's a great opportunity for um, you know, soldiers across the task force. It's not just the battalion that's going um, uh, to continue training progression. You know, I've been in the guard commission in 2010, and over these last 10 years, you know, I've never done NTC. I've ne I've never had the opportunity to mobilize. Um, so in addition to our deterrence uh, mission over there, you know, it's a significant opportunity to increase our proficiency uh, from the team, squad, platoon, company, battalion, task force level, uh, and, and come back to Washington and Oregon um, as, you know, an, a premier infantry organization. So it's a, it'll, be a, it'll be a good opportunity. So we're looking forward to it. You know, I, I would add, I, it's, it's an interesting mission. I mean, not only from a National Guard standpoint, uh, but just from the, the striker community mindset. So have I, have I, knowing this mission that we're going to be pushed forward, the, the, it's called Enhanced Forward uh, Presence. So unlike in legacy days we're in Germany, now, I mean, we were literally about 30 kilometers from the Russian border in the Kaliningrad. So why? Why, why strikers? And, and kind of the things that really stood out to me is, you know, armored formations really are best meant for uh, offense. You know, you put the armors that they're usually for attacking. So why not armors, ar ar an armored force there, uh, but a striker force? And that kind of got the answer is kind of our mission as well. What, what do infantry do best? Infantry are best in defense. Uh, so high mobility, high defense, and they're us being pushed forward. So that's interesting why they have strikers and the message that sends, a strategic message. Right. And on that note, what is the infantry? What is the infantry? Right. 
Well, the, the infantry is our is your ground. Uh, the capabilities is basically. Okay. Well, uh, you know, as uh, I'm assuming most of the audience understands what the infantry is, maybe don't. No, it's anybody. That's we, why we're we, asking yeah, these we, we questions. Got, we got to. You got to cover all to, your bases. You got to talk to the lowest common denominator. Well, the infantry really is is the maybe the, the soldiers at the ground level, the ones carrying the rifles, the one you see in the uh, in the foxholes, the one out moving with the, you know walking. Uh, historically, they're the ones that seize ground and hold ground. Uh, so you know, in, in, in the, the Roman legionnaire, uh, the Spartan hoplite, uh, all the way up to to now today to the American infantry soldier carrying the rifle, grabbing ground, seizing ground. In the end, that's the, that's the end. That's the finishing force is when the infantry moves in. That's who are the people that really end the fight is when the infantry are there. Uh, so when you say why the infantry, I think, you know, what makes the striker um, um, brigade or brigade or in our, in our battalion, I guess, unique is the struggle the infantry always has is, yeah, they're, they walk, but that doesn't get there someplace very quickly. Right. So how, how do you utilize, you know, nowadays with high mobility, what the Army's really tried to, to figure out is how can you have a light force? Because a light force, when I say light, I mean soldiers without trucks, soldiers mm-hmm. uh, without encumbered. Well, well, they're good because they can really get into very difficult terrain, cities and mountains and swamps and go places where no one else can go. That's where the infantry are always best. But again, going, you know, how they, they still have to move around. And they have to get from one objective to another that might be a great distance. Exactly. So the Army pioneered this idea of motorized infantry and putting us into strikers. And if you haven't seen a striker, it's a, the best way I describe it is a really awesome eight-wheel, eight-wheeler, like a four-wheeler. It goes everywhere. It can do everything. It really has a lot of different uh, systems to really see where everyone is on the battlefield. But really, the probably the most important thing that I love about their strikers is our 120 millimeter mortar <laughs> mortars. So for the listeners, if you don't know what that is, a 120 millimeter mortar is a big tube that shoots about a mortar round about four and a half miles with a killing radius wow. of 75 meters. See, I drop one 120 millimeter mortar round in the center of a football, every, center football field, everybody dies standing on that football field. That's right. one. So in our striker battalion, we have 10 of them. 10 of these mortar variant of these striker vehicles. Now, this is where I think it's fascinating. So one round will kill everybody in a 75-meter uh, radius. Right. One round. One of these 120-millimeter mortar-carrying vehicles can shoot six rounds a minute. Six rounds a minute. That's some awesome firepower. That is some good firepower. Now, if you had 10 of those, imagine what we can do in one minute. 60 120 millimeter mortar rounds falling in a location, and we can shoot four and four and a half miles away. Right. That's incredible. Hardly any infantry organization has that amount of firepower dedicated to it. And then I think wow. another great thing about the strikers is they're customizable based off of what your needs are, right? Because you have the mortar ones, and I know there's like an engineer there one, yeah, a, medi- reconnaissance vehicle, a medical yeah. version. <clears throat> yeah, there, there's a quite a few different platforms, um, organic to an infantry battalion. You know, you've got the RVs, the uh, the uh, the medical vehicles, the MEVs, uh, the MCVs, uh, mortar carrying vehicles that Colonel Broyles talked on. 
um, and then our infantry fighting vehicles, ICVs, and the command variants, which include you know more robust communications platform and, and things of that nature. So yeah, you have you know, and to piggyback kind of on what, what the boss was saying about you know, the capabilities of the striker, it kind of bridges the gap from an IBCT to an ABCT, right? You know that we've had this conversation a lot, sir. So, you know, with an IBCT, you know, just dismounted people walking, you know, they really don't have the ability to to go long places without, you know, outside non-organic support, you know, the strikers, especially considering it's not a fighting platform, you know, it's, it's, it's like armed, uh, armed troop transport or or a whole bunch of different other support by fire positions. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of capabilities that an SBCT or an infantry battalion under an SBCT has that, you know, traditional, um, IBCTs, uh, I don't believe do. So, um, yeah. And then not to mention there's the 60 millimeter mortars and the 81 millimeter mortars since we were talking mortarmen. You know, so the 60s and 81s are like smaller, smaller versions of, of the 120 millimeter mortars, which, you know, especially the 60s can be hand carried, you know, by, you know, dismounted troops to get right. in. So you have the, the bigger mortars that can go further and then all the way down to the, the smaller mortars that, you know, commanders, company commanders um, have the ability to employ in their respective objectives. So the amount of, the amount of, um, yeah, the amount of assets you have as a as a commander within an infantry battalion is, is pretty amazing. So, well, and, and that's you know, I went up, before I took command of this uh, battalion, I was doing a particular uh, warfighter with the 25th Infantry Division, mm-hmm. and as I was talking to their G5, and they talked about a t- particular technique that they found that was incredibly effective, kind of at the division level, and it was really kind of where they were they um, best way to put it is. Apache attack uh, aviation Mm -hmm. linked with drones on manned platforms. They talking directly to their uh, 155 artillery uh, howitzers. And those two working directly together. So Apache uh, pilots and their attack aviation working directly with drones, working directly uh, artillery together and really not court and I shouldn't say not courting but not having to request a um, clearance for fires from right. the headquarters so what they would do 25th infantry division what they'd do is they would establish these kill boxes predetermined areas that they were going to hunt the enemy in right and then the Apaches would move in there with drones with artillery and those two would the Apache would, would talk directly to and back and forth and they would just work those kill boxes and they mm-hmm. called that the killing machine and listening to him describe that method, I thought that was incredibly powerful. Right. And I thought, how could I take that method and couldn't I use that same idea but take it into the battalion? Yeah. So the idea would be the same way, but me using me as we move in, just establishing the same kill boxes, predetermined areas where, inf- where my friendly infantry wouldn't uh, move in there. And then getting fighting to get my uh, 120 millimeter mortars forward into position working my reconnaissance in there and once they see the enemy in there there's no more need for call for, uh, for clearance for fires now my observers talk directly to the mortars that just fired just back and forth and then m- combined with a rapid resupply therein would be my battalion version of the killing machine right so i kind of see how we fight this battalion is is not so much trying to get my infantry on the ground and clearing it by bounding as you see but really getting my infantry to enable my mortars to position. So I fight to get my mortars in position, I get observers forward, and then I start the machine. And I just keep working that killing machine, working that killing machine until I have the the right conditions, setting setting the conditions better for the final assault. 
Right. So that's what the killing machine. So if you go to Instagram, hunt, race, kill, whatever, <laughs> and you see hashtag killing machine, that's okay. what we try to practice. Okay. That makes a lot of nice. sense. Yeah. I was actually with uh, 3161 last summer at XCTC. I was hanging out with them for like three days uh, when Colonel James was mm-hmm. the commander. And it was super fun to get to sit in the back with a weapons team and go out on the live fires and record and sort of experience all of that um, fun times. And I got to say, the strikers were were so fun. Super comfy, too. Yeah, I definitely took a nap when we kept getting delayed <laughs> on night fire in yeah. the striker because it was like protecting me from the wind of Yakima. Um. Well, and the striker's so great because one of the problems the infantryman always has is weight. Right. Weight is what just is, I mean, you can always tell a seasoned infantryman because the first thing I always ask is, how much is that weigh? Right. How much is that weigh? Right. And anybody that's been in the infantry more than a couple of years, all those, you know, ounces equals pounds, pounds equals pain. So how much does something weigh means a lot to someone mm-hmm. who's going to be carrying it. Well, yeah. the striker allows an infantryman to be their rucksack. Right. So they can, don't have to carry all that stuff. They can put all that stuff in the striker, be very much lighter, quicker, faster. Yeah. Uh, so it, th- that's really how I see the striker is just get us to position as their rucksack. Yeah, and then be able for sure. To be more light uh, and be able to move quicker and do, do more work without just being beaten down by 80, 90 pounds of gear. Yeah, because maneuver to the site and then just getting out as le- least kitted up as possible and pushing through and then there is and that that what you just said there was just brilliant because that is the big uh tension right now in the striker community because using it as a rucksack the tension really is is it's not it, you know it is not meant to be a fighting vehicle and so what people have a difficulty is when they see the striker as a fighting vehicle because it does not have the armor or the ability to, to kind of fight in that environment so you really have to get the infantry out in front and they need to hunt the anti-armor right. threat once they can kill the anti-armor threat, then just what you said, sir, now we can really get on our horse and race right. to where we can get to to kill the enemy. Yep. Awesome. I don't know if you notice I worked in hunt, race, kill right there. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I noticed it, but I was just going to let it, I was just going to let it be. <laughs> um, live in its organic state. <laughs> All right. Uh, have we forgot anything? Yeah. I got. We did. Oh, Jason has well, a question. I, mean, I don't have an arm rest, so. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I feel very awkward. <laughs> um, so these are interesting times for the National Guard. Yes. As as we speak, we're this is like the biggest call up of the National Guard since Katrina. We have nearly forty seven thousand guardsmen all across the country in every single state and territory, assisting with the COVID response, um, and. Yesterday was Mount St. Helens yes. Day. This was our big moment to shine 40 years ago when that thing blew up. Are you guys, any of your soldiers out there helping right now in COVID response? Currently, we have 108 um, that, that are out serving in various locations to include Colonel Broyles that is working with the uh, EOC here on Camp Murray. But um, the vast majority of our folks are, are up in Seattle supporting one of the local food banks um, oh. there. Food so. Lifeline. Yep. So um, Pearl Jam, post- it wasn't your guys, unfortunately. <laughs> It was the Air Guard, but Pearl Jam posted a video of them working the food lifeline. Ah, we made the uh, <laughs> John Krasinski some good yes, news. Yes, we did. So that, that, that was, yeah. that was dark true. rifles up there. Well, and, uh, you know, other people from across the state. But the, PA, the PAO. The PAO. <laughs> um, but, no, the feedback 
that we've got, you know, it's a good opportunity for uh, for our soldiers to give back. And, you know, I, I was honestly surprised with the amount of people that wanted to come help. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, people have that sense of um, purpose going out and, and assisting those um, across the state. So Yeah, we've heard nothing but great response from the guardsmen yeah, that are out there. Yeah, everybody seems to have a good time. Yeah. So. Well, and I think you hit, uh, Jason, I thought you hit an interesting point because when I talk to soldiers, a lot of them were really, I mean, really energized with the opportunity to, to do something like this. Like, I I've, I guess I misunderstood how helping the citizens of Washington and serving in those domestic operations, how much that means to the dark rifles i've heard a lot of them say those words to me hey i really want to do this type of operation and i that's really want to help apart from the regular yeah and I, I did not realize how yeah. powerful that idea or how, how much of a motivation there is to the to soldiers in the in the washington army national guard to serve in that capacity so i think that was interesting kind of listening to, to folks talk about that you come from active duty correct i did yeah so this is your first uh, experience in the guard. Well, or? I kind of go back and forth. I I, I started in active duty, and then yeah. I went back and I kind of uh, moved back and forth. But uh, I'm always amazed at the, the National Guard. I uh, previous to the battalion command, I spent two years of this at the Seventh Infantry Division. Okay. I was part of the ex- I was the exchange officer. Okay. So I worked over there uh, on active duty for two years there in that environment. So I'm always kind of seeing it the, the active duty, uh, see their their side, their point right. of view, come over and see it from the National Guard point of view, and it's fascinating. Is this your first domestic? It call is. up okay it is um i've never done it because i'm in the reserve so i'm the same boat but uh yeah i think it's also the the thing that's so impactful is they're working in their own communities for the most part and so it feels really personal yeah. to as, at least all the guardsmen that i've spoken to yeah I, th- I think we took the original approach like from a person who was helping plan uh, not part of the the jtf but like we were taking the approach of keep people close to home for you know ease of Right. lodging consideration or whatever the case may be but like that's a great uh, second order effect that by doing that we keep people in their neighborhoods right. helping out the the people mm-hmm. that they that they know so i honestly hadn't, hadn't thought about it that way until just now when you said something but uh yeah. no, that's it's a good called point called critical and creative <laughs> have you done this before <laughs> that's why we have her around yes yeah, the only reason is for a different critical perspective <laughs> Awesome. I think, did we, I don't know if we hit all the points. We're forgetting something. Uh, I can't read that I always far talk away. infiltrate to win. I always talk envelopments, but I think we probably covered a lot. I don't know if there's other ideas freedom out there. Freedom forward, sir. You want to cover that there's a little freedom bit? Freedom forward. We have a little bit of time if you want to. Okay. Uh, really, I talked to, freedom forward is really kind of the idea that at some point I know I'm going to have to look at a wife, a mother, a father, a child, and say, why is your son and daughter going to Poland? Right. Uh, tough, tough idea, right? What, why is the National Guard, why does Washington State Army National Guard care about faraway Poland? And I think is it kind of really hit me once. If you understand the situation over there, really is you know NATO and, and Russia's attempt to fractionalize, fractionalize uh, NATO through try to invoking Article 5 and they really don't do something. That's kind of the crux of the idea. But that doesn't, but that really doesn't matter to someone living in Ellensburg. And, right. So trying to make it, figure out what it is. And kind of this idea hit me one night. I was uh, at Barnes & Nobles, and I was talking to a woman there, a, a barista, a young lady. And we were talking about Washington, and she made a comment that kind of stuck with me. She's, I said, why, you know, why do I love Washington? She said, you know, I love Washington because here in Washington really is a place where someone can be whoever they want to be. 
And for whatever reason, that kind of stuck with me, that that really resonated with her. And I thought, you know, really, as I've, I've lived in Washington for about eight years, the one thing I've really come to appreciate about Washingtonians is how passionate they are about the people, people's right to be whoever they want to be. Right. And so as I kind of thought about that idea that really, you know, when you say, okay, the idea that the right of every person to, to be who they want to be, uh, you know, it goes back to kind of our founding idea that everyone is created equal and that they have the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then, as I, you know, as Washingtonians are so passionate about that idea, but how passionate are they? Are they so passionate do they believe that is it the right of just Washingtonians that, that everyone can be who they really want to be? Or is it an American idea? Or are we so passionate about it, do we really believe that it should be a global idea, that all people have the right to be whoever they want to be? As I thought so, I thought, you know, that's, that's, that's right. I believe Washingtonians really do believe that that's just not an American idea or Washington idea. That's, a, that's really a global idea. A human idea. A human mm-hmm. idea. That's great. And so as, if it's really a human idea, there's a places in the world that that idea is not popular. Right. In fact, it's not it's not only not popular, it's 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 suppressed. It's illegal. It's illegal. Mm-hmm. So, do Washington's really Washingtonians really believe that idea? And if they do, are they willing to prove it? To demonstrate how committed they are to defending that idea that everyone has a right to be whoever they want to be. And I thought no better way to demonstrate it, not say it, right. demonstrate it than to send Washington's treasure her sons, her daughters, forward right. to a position to demonstrate how committed we are to the idea that everyone has the right to be who they want to be. And so that kind of was that idea is why we're going to Poland really is freedom forward. Right. To demonstrate that we are committed to that idea that everyone can, that, that right, that human idea, like what right. you said, that everyone has the right to be who they want to be. And we don't say it, we demonstrate it. And that is why uh, we, as the Dark Rifles, are going to move forward in this freedom forward to go to Poland here in the, in the next year and to, to demonstrate how committed we truly are. I like how you boil these ideas down to just like a simple yeah. phrase and concept that you just yeah just says it all. And actually, <laughs> I will say, sir, you've probably used the least amount of acronyms of anyone we've ever interviewed. And I really appreciate that because my main goal in life is to catch anyone in an acronym and get them to explain it. So, Well, I would say this, and, and the biggest lesson I've learned in, in my short time in command, I've been in command about, I, I call it my first quarter's up. So about eight months, so eight, quarter one's up. But uh, yeah, it, it, you have to, you got to make it so people remember it. <laughs> yes. And and so they can do something with it. Right. My, my litmus mark is if I, if I can't tell, if I can't help a soldier aim his rifle at it, then it's too complex. Yes, that's a good idea. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. For sure. I don't cool. think I have any other questions. I don't. Unless you, there's any parting wisdom or any kind of, if yeah. somebody is willing or wanting to think about joining the guard as an infantry. We will definitely put all of the hunt, race, kill social media accounts yeah. in the show notes. Uh, so yeah. that so we have, so kind of just real quick, our, our what we are doing right now is we kind of have three uh, main social media uh, platforms that we utilize. So really we have an Instagram account, hunt, race, kill, and that's where we really talk. Uh, we, in the, in COVID, mm-hmm. I asked one of our commanders, he's 
incredibly physically fit. He posts his daily workouts on there. Yes, I've seen them. Uh, and then uh, we put pictures on there. And then we have our Dark Rifle uh, YouTube channel. And that's where the opportunity we, we do ch like coach so, uh, player chalk talks, I call them. Mm -hmm. So okay. it's hard for the National Guard to get together and have chalk talks where we talk about tactics, techniques, and procedures we can use to win. So that's kind of how I see that method is where we have an opportunity, a venue to do those chalk talks. And then we have our Facebook account where we, that's kind of more of our venue to uh, reach out to families. Okay. So those are the three ones you can visit. Awesome. Uh, we will link them in the show notes so that they should, I don't, I don't know if they can click on them, but uh, we'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah, they, could, they should be able to. Should you? Okay. I don't know if it links. I'm sure it does. Okay. <laughs> All right, Sarah and Jason, thank you so much. Thank you guys. Yeah, thanks, thank you guys. We appreciate right. it. Dark race kill. Dark race.